You are listening to Faith Church's sermon from this week. We are a church that is committed to loving Jesus for life and loving others to life. We hope that this message encourages you to follow Jesus with your whole heart. Amen. So I want to start off this morning by first encouraging you to turn in your bulletin to something that has a flame on the top. Um, You might think your pastor is like, obsessed with fire. That's true, I am. Um, but uh, um, this is also Pentecost Sunday, as I told you before, and that's, that's the story that Chris read for you. It's a, it's a day when the church is born, when the Holy Spirit becomes known. It's kind of like Christmas was for Christ. Christ is in the Old Testament, in case you didn't know that. You can see Christ throughout the Old Testament. It's, it's clear. But Christ becomes a human In Matthew chapter 2 and in Luke, and he takes on flesh. And so this is the day that the Holy Spirit kind of does the same thing, but he doesn't take on flesh. He comes alive in the church. And he makes a move in Acts chapter 2. And there's great things that happen. In fact, we hear that there were 3,000 people that were saved. Can Can you just imagine just, just for one minute, I mean, I couldn't even fathom that when I was preparing this message this week. Could you imagine a sermon being preached and 3,000 people come walking forward, kneel at the altar rail and say, we want to give our lives to Jesus? So here's why I bring that up. Because <laughs> I wonder if it says something about us that we can't imagine. Just before you throw the stones, think about it. I can't imagine people responding to the gospel message like that. Because here's the question that I asked, did the Holy Spirit change? Not that I would imagine. Did Jesus change? Did the Father change? And so can you, I want to ask this question to start off this morning. Can you remember a day that changed your life? Here are some from me. I'm just going to throw a list up there on the screen. Um, and, and, And I'll read them for you too because they're a little hard to read. But I can remember the, I can't remember this day. But I can, re- I can remember my parents telling me about the day that I received a shunt. If you don't know this story about me, my parents were pregnant with me around the time when, when Roe v. Wade and everything else was up for discussion. And there was, there was, they were told that I would be dependent upon them for the rest of my life. That I would never probably go to college. I would never get a seminary degree. I would never do things. I would be in their home for the rest of my life because I would be mentally challenged. We'll put it that way. Because the pressure on my brain was so great when I, got bo- when I was born that it caused a whole lot of issues. So at four months, three months old, I don't know, you can ask my mother. I, wasn't there. I, I, I don't remember what the time was. I went in for a very serious surgery. 
And if you ever see when I get my hair cut short, I'll just tell you right now, there's a scar there. My mom hates it when I get my head cut short, my hair cut short. So I cut it short more often. Because <laughs> my mom hates it. No, just kidding. But here's the deal. I'm not ashamed of that scar because that scar means life to me. It means the fact that I have a chance to raise my own family. See, they could have made the decision to end it. And I do believe, I could be corrected after this sermon, but I do believe some doctors gave them that option. But boy, did it change my life when they didn't. So when I say that I am now a college graduate and a seminary graduate, I don't say it with arrogance and look at me. I say, thank God. Because I wasn't promised that. And so that day changed my life. The day I received, or the day I met Jesus on the back swing set of our house in Dover, Pennsylvania. There's a Sunday school teacher at St. David's Evangelical Congregational Church that, that gave a message. And, and at a five years of age, here's what I understood. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's unpacked itself as I've gone through my life. But at five years of age, I understood this. If I don't receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I'm going to a very bad place called hell that's very hot. And I need to make it right with Jesus. Right now, right here. And so that started this path of what does this look like? What does this, and I'm not going to tell you that when I got up from that swing set, I was the perfect child. If my parents were here, my dad would be saying amen right about now. Through high school, I struggled. Through college, I struggled. Yes, even at a Bible college. Number three is the day that I met Michelle. Um, today is, as you know, if you get our emails, is Michelle's birthday. We're very thankful to celebrate another birthday because last birthday was celebrated in Hershey Medical Center because someone decided to have heart surgery over somebody else's birthday. So she got sushi, <laughs> which I was glad she got in the hospital because then I didn't have to eat it. And she got a pop, a chocolate pop or something like that. I forget what it was called, but she got some kind of pop and she came back and she was ecstatic. And I said, really, you didn't have to sit here with me in a hospital room for your birthday. But if you know Michelle's heart, you know why I love her. Because it wasn't a sacrifice to sit in that hospital room. It's the only place in the world she wanted to be on her birthday. So the day I met Michelle changed my life. The day we drove to Myerstown, PA to pick up our son was a day that changed my life forever. Driving there, saying to myself, what am I about to embark on? And then a few days later, we went to Reading Hospital and got his sister, our daughter. Tried to escape with her without taking the alarm thingy off. That doesn't work at Reading Hospital. 
alarms went off, doors shut, and cops came running. <laughs> sorry, sorry. It was actually the nurse's fault, but I don't like to throw anybody under the bus. But we got two kids. We didn't have nine months to prepare. And we were scared out of our minds. But it was a day that changed our lives. Then the day that they became our son and daughter, I can remember like it was yesterday. Sitting in a courtroom with the judge looking at me saying, do you realize how serious this is? Yes, sir, and I'm scared out of my mind. Do you realize that no matter what happens between you and your wife, you are responsible for these children the rest of your life? Yes. Yes. Changed my life. You all have those days as well. 911. The day the the day the, the the shuttle blew up. I can remember the classroom I was sitting in. Pentecost did the same thing for the church. It changed the, the trajectory of the church forever. It changed the course of history, and it teaches us much about the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you some background of the Pentecost before we get too far here. That's important. In that verse 1 of Acts chapter 2, the literal translation is, I'm just going to throw things up on the screen if you want to uh, take notes, you can, but there's nothing to fill in until we get to the second part of this. Um, When the day of Pentecost was fulfilled, that's the literal translation. Now, Now, This fits because some things had to happen in order for Pentecost to take take place. And we don't understand this unless we know Scripture. And so before the Holy Spirit could come, the first thing that had to take place was Jesus had to be crucified to deal with the darkness of sin. Look at John 16, 7 with me. I believe it will be on the screen. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come for you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So first of all, in order for the Pentecost to happen, Jesus had to pay for the sins of the world. Because Jesus has a plan. We're going to even see it even greater soon. He has a plan. He doesn't do things willy-nilly. He doesn't do things like just off the cuff. He always has something ready. The second action that needed to happen was Jesus had to be glorified. Look at John 7, 38 through 39 with me. You'll see it there. It's specifically the last few words. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this... He meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given. Since why? He, Jesus, had not been glorified. Had to happen. Had to happen. There's a reason why Pentecost takes place. The Holy Spirit is a promise. 
you will remember that the Holy Spirit has promised through the words of Jesus in John 14, 16. Here's what he says there. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Here's why that words or those words are said when they are said. This is a conversation happening in the upper room. Jesus realizes that the task that he's asking his disciples to do was impossible. Even with the great commission in front of them, in their hands, they would need more than willingness if the world was to be won over to Jesus Christ. In that upper room where this promise took place, they were sheltered. They had no idea what the task before them would look like. Now, I want you to think about this task this morning. And I want you to consider this when I read this list of tasks off. I want you to consider, does this sound like 2022 to you or not? Are we maybe sitting in an upper room situation where Jesus is saying, listen, I'm giving you this mission to reach the world for Jesus Christ, for myself. I'm giving you this huge mission, and yet we face something that we don't fully understand. Listen to this list that the disciples faced. The stubborn unbelief of men. The vested pursuits of government, commerce, and yes, even religion that would oppose them. Number three, the cruel persecution that awaited them. I'll never forget the words of Bishop Randy Sizemore just a couple of weeks ago when he looked at us as a denomination and said, if you think the last two years are rough, please put your seatbelts on, folks. It's about to get a whole lot rougher. Last kind of an unknown fact is, is that the Jewish Feast of Harvest was at the same time it was called it was called this because it began the harvest period. Let me just read for you Exodus 23, 16. Celebrate the festival of harvest with the first fruits of the crops you sow in your field. Celebrate the festival of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in your crops from the field. Now, why is this important? It's important because if we look at Acts chapter 1, verse 4, here's what it says. On one occasion, while he, Jesus, was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Why then? Why now? Why is he telling his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, do not leave Jerusalem? Because he realizes the entire world is coming to Jerusalem for this festival. They're coming because of what Exodus tells us earlier. They're coming to present their offerings. And so Jesus understands that the world is coming to the church. 
And so he says, don't get any ideas of leaving Jerusalem. I know it's going to get crowded. I know things are going to happen. But I'm about to blow this place wide open with the Holy Spirit. I'm about to do something greater than you guys can imagine. Stay with me. Stick with this. Because this is about to rock this world. And what happens next is, is that Christianity hits the, hits the newspapers, if you would, and it travels the roads of Rome. It travels all over the world. Why? Because Jesus had a plan. Because he doesn't do things just willy-nilly. That's what we think of Jesus sometimes. I don't understand why we've got to have all these plans. We should just let the Holy Spirit work. That's what I hear a lot. Because he works in the plans. He doesn't work without the plans. He works within the plans. And that's what Jesus is showing us in Acts chapter 1 verse 4. Listen, guys, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense, he's saying to his disciples. Listen, but just stay here. Stay here. Wait for the gift. Because this is the inauguration of the divine plan to spread the gospel throughout the Gentile world. So we got the background. So what does this mean for us? What's the meaning of the Spirit's arrival. I believe this is on the next slide, Austin. There we go. The meaning of the Spirit's arrival. Here's what it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 12. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? So you can imagine, the Holy Spirit comes upon the church, the church goes a little bit nuts, has a bit of an issue, begins to struggle with what's going on. The Holy Spirit came and the people heard the sound of rushing wind and saw tongues of fire. And the Holy Spirit did something. It baptized and filled, he baptized and filled the believers we see. This talked about in Acts chapter 1 verse 5. Here's what it says. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Because of the filling of the Holy Spirit, they praised God in various language. They understood everything. Now, there is a great debate where, what these tongues that Luke describes here looks like. I want you to be sure of this. It's most likely not the tongues that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 14. Paul deals with what, what Paul deals with are not the same tongues. I tend to think that they are not, but they, that's just my opinion based on studies. It seems here this is an intelligible discussion or dialect where the discussion about tongues in 1 Corinthians 14 seems not to be. So here's, here's what the gist is. If we were sitting here and there was some Spanish folk among us, and there was some French folk among us, and there was some Creole folk among us, and we were all speaking our different languages, and I could understand every word the Haitian who's speaking Creole was speaking. 
I don't know Creole. I've been to Haiti for two weeks for a missions trip. I had to use an interpreter. I had no clue what that interpreter I trusted that he was saying what I was saying. But that's what it would be like. You would, you would understand the Spanish-speaking person who's speaking scripture. You would understand the French, and yet you don't know Spanish and French. Whereas in 1 Corinthians 14, what the Apostle Paul is talking about, it seems like it was a, a new language given by the Holy Spirit. And so an interpreter needs to, that's why in 1 Corinthians 14, the first instruction is there needs to be an interpreter that understands this new language. Because if there's no interpreter, there's no good to the body. And therefore, the tongues are, are out. That's why the interpreter is so important, because the, the whole reason for the discussion of tongues, and it's a very uncomfortable discussion for us evangelicals, because we don't like to talk about it. But the whole reason for the discussion in, in 1 Corinthians 14 is just so that people don't use it to get their own way or hurt the body. It's to build up the body. I've had people in my years of ministry tell me, oh, I got tongues one time. I was sitting in my house and I spoke tongues, you know, praying. And, and while I understand what their heart is saying, that doesn't build up the body. It's about the body. It's about community. It's about you and I together. Now, to put it bluntly, you don't need a special filling of the Holy Spirit. You don't need to be baptized in the Spirit. There are some denominations that will say that. They will say certain things like, well, you know, if you don't have this, you're not really saved. And this is where the Holy Spirit goes wrong for many of you. You've heard such things. And so you come in here, and when I start speaking about the Holy Spirit, you get a little afraid. You start thinking about what's this hocus-pocus Holy Spirit stuff? There's nothing to be afraid of. Well, kind of nothing to be afraid of. We'll get to that at the end. But friends, you don't need to come back for him. According to the Evangelical Congregational Church, and more importantly, what we believe, according to the Bible, it says that once you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he indwells you. Right at that moment. So as soon as you bow that knee to Jesus Christ, in fact, when I pray with someone who's coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord, I, I pray those words. Lord, help me to understand the Holy Spirit is residing in me today. Let's go back to that question in verse 12. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Here's the two possibilities of what this means. Two possibilities. Number one, the certainty of his presence. 
So, as we've seen, the Spirit did a baptizing work on his body, on his, on his body to birth the church. Listen to Acts 2.41. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. He continues that work of indwelling today. Here's the deal. Here's the great thing. Is this, this isn't just history. This is happening in your life today. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's where it all starts. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then I really can't tell you that you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. There may be times when the Holy Spirit might tweak you, might challenge you to come to know Jesus Christ, but you don't have the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. Listen to 1 Corinthians 6, 19. The Apostle Paul says this, Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of what? The Holy Spirit, who is in you whom you've received from God. You are not your own. This isn't just something that happened in Acts chapter 2. It happens in your life. And guess what? Has nothing to do with whether you're a member of a faith church or not. It has everything to do with whether you're a relationship with Jesus Christ or not. And so the Apostle Paul comes out and he says, listen, don't you know that you're not your own? Don't you know that when you do something to your body or you sin or you do something like that, this is not about just what it's doing to you. It's about what it's doing to the Holy Spirit inside of you. And so in in reality, I like the way one pastor puts it, in reality, every day is Pentecost Sunday for you and I. But here's the question I want you to consider this morning. He may be residing in your heart, but is he presiding in your life? Wow. Here's again the question. The Holy Spirit may be very well, if you know Jesus Christ, he is residing in your heart, but is he presiding over your life? In other words, when he tweaks, when he calls, do you answer? Or do you hit the big red button that says ignore? Because you have that right. Just because he's indwelling, just because he's a part of your life, doesn't mean that God never set us up to be puppets on a string, remember? He never said, when I say jump, you're going to jump as far as you can jump. He never said, you're going to do what I... He always said, you have a thing called free will. And so I might tell you to turn right, you can turn left. I might tell you to go straight. You can go backwards. Same goes with the Holy Spirit. Three in one. I may call you on the phone and say, you might want to change that attitude. You might want to give that a different perspective. You might want to look at this in a different way. You can hit the ignore button. You can turn the phone off, which mine is. You still have a choice. So yes, he resides in your heart, but does he preside over your life? More on that later. Second possible meaning is this. The availability of his power. 
Jesus promised something to his disciples, that is, to give them power through the Holy Spirit. You know the verse, Acts 1.8. You've probably heard this many a times. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, after Christ's death, the disciples find themselves hiding in despair, thinking they are the next to be killed. But what a difference this day makes. All of a sudden, they have a vision. They have power, and that power, Faith Evangelical Congregational Church, is ours today. I don't feel like it. That's the great thing. Feelings don't matter. This, we don't, we don't have to hide behind closed doors. We can and should go out to the world and reach them for Christ. In that scripture passage in Acts 1-8, if you, if you took a map and Jesus is standing in Jerusalem and Judea and saying these words. So what, what he's saying is this, or he's standing in Jerusalem. So if you could take a, a circle, all right, and I got to stay close to my notes because I got to make sure we're, on, we're rolling here. But, but so Jesus says, I'm going to give you power to reach Jerusalem. If you took a circle and just drew it right around Jesus right there, because he's in Jerusalem, remember? He told the disciples, stay in Jerusalem. Don't leave Jerusalem. He's in Jerusalem. So what is he saying? He's saying, I'm giving you power to reach 4th Avenue, North Temple Boulevard, 5th Avenue, 6th Avenue, 7th Avenue, 8th Avenue, Giant, Target, Weiss Market, All of those, maybe not waste markets, but uh, anyway, all of those around us, that's the circle he's drawing. And he's saying to his disciples, this Holy Spirit is giving you power to reach that. Then he goes on and he says, now I'm giving you power to reach all of Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. I shouldn't have read that part. Judea and Samaria. So what does that mean? That means I'm giving you all the power in the world to reach Judea, Blandon, Fleetwood, Reading. That would be the circle. Basically the rest of Pennsylvania, Samaria, and maybe even the United States of America. And then he says and even to the ends of the earth. So Faith Evangelical Congregational Church, what he's saying to you this morning is this. He's giving you enough power to reach all those people. How are you doing with that? I don't feel that power. No, again, feelings have nothing to do with this. It's true because Scripture says he is. It's not true because you feel it. Look, there are days when I wake up, mostly Monday mornings, when I think to myself, am I really saved? <laughs> do I know I'm really going to heaven?
Secondly, we look at the blessing of the Spirit's arrival. Look at Peter's reply here in verse 38. Here's what he says. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That blessing comes in two ways. Here's the first way. The blessing comes of repentance. Peter stands up before the thousands and preaches a powerful Holy Spirit message. Now, here's what, here's what I was tempted to skip over until the Holy Spirit, I believe, brought it to my attention. Did, did you just hear what I said? Peter gets up on Pentecost Sunday preaches a wonderful message about repenting to the Lord and responding to his good news. Peter, you remember the 13-year-old that scared the living heebie-jeebies out of you when she asked you across that fire that night, you know this Jesus? Nope, never seen him, don't know him, don't want to be him, oh, no, 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 no. And then the cock crowed. That Peter, that Peter, he didn't didn't have a change of total personality. He didn't change a whole lot. He came back to the Lord. You know the story in John chapter 21 where Jesus has a conversation with him over breakfast and he says, do you love me? Yes, you know I love you, Lord. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, take care of my people. Peter, The one who instead of looked like a rock that the church is built on, looked like a pebble that the church was kicked on. Preaches a message that brings 3,000 people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ their Lord on Pentecost Sunday where the Holy Spirit bursts the church and a wonderful thing breaks loose. Peter. You know, the one who said, I'm going to jump out of this boat And I'm going to walk with you on water, Lord. Come on. Takes two steps, looks around, starts to sink. Jesus has to reach down and pull him out. Peter, that dude, is the one who brings the church alive. Tell me again how you're not fitted to be a part of church ministry. Please. Tell me again why he's asking you to sit on the sideline because of something you did. It's a lie. Peter, the one who denied him, could have cared less about him in the most crucial of times. Preaches the blessing of a repentant servant. And yet I hear from time to time, I could never be used. You got to be kidding me. Peter. Peter preaches this powerful message. And the day of Pentecost is blown wide open. Listen to what verse 37 says about Peter's message. 
When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? So Peter (laughs) preaches this message that's basically repent of your sins. 3,000 people are sitting there listening to this message from this guy who was just intimidated by a teenage girl at a fire not too long ago. And the words of that scripture passage and the words of that sermon cut them to the deepest parts of their hearts and they turn to the apostles and the other and Peter and they ask him a very simple question. They say, so, whoa, you, the Holy Spirit's working here. What do we do? And the answer is repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then did you notice what else he put on the end of that? That you would receive the Holy Spirit at that moment when you repent and be baptized. Talk about a powerful illustration. The man who messed up more than most preaching the sermon that brought 3,000 people to Christ. It's the Holy Spirit who uses broken vessels to cut to the heart of the matter. Who better to claim repentance than a man who knew the power of the Holy Spirit in his own life through the reconciling work of Jesus Christ? And God uses him. And again, I come back to the question, tell me again how you are unqualified. The blessing of the revival in the church is the second blessing that comes from the Holy Spirit. In these early followers of Christ, we see the blessings of revival. Here's a list of them. A fearlessness to speak. We see it in Acts chapter 2, verse 14. A a joyfulness to sing. Acts chapter 2, verses 46 through 47. A a holiness to shine. Acts chapter 4, 13. A willingness to sacrifice. Acts chapter 4, 34 through 35. A readiness to serve. In Acts chapter 6, verse 3. A steadfastness to stand. In Acts chapter 4, verse 29. A yieldedness to suffer for Christ. In Acts chapter 7, verse 60. And then Acts chapter 7 is where, Pete, where Stephen is stoned for following Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. I'd like to kind of wrap this up this morning by answering this question. And here's the question that I get every time we come to Pentecost Sunday. Is the Holy Spirit someone we should be afraid of? It's on the next slide, I believe, uh, Austin. Is it? Is, it someone, is he someone we should, you might notice that I'm changing it to he because I was, that's the fear of God in me from Dr. Ken Miller, my theology professor. If we called him it during class, we got yelled at, like literally yelled at. It's not an it, it's a he. He is a part of the Trinity. So if you hear me saying it and then saying he quickly, it's because if Dr. Miller watches this sermon, I don't want to get an email, all right? So it's he, he, the Holy Spirit is alive, he. It's not an it. And it's very clear. So anyway, is, is, he, af- is he someone that we should be afraid of? Usually people ask this question because they're seeing him used in ways that make them 
frankly, uncomfortable. Hanging from the lights <laughs> on a Sunday morning, you've all seen it. Dancing around, there's even a thing out there now, this is the newest thing, <laughs> that's all I can say about it is it's a thing, is Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit laughter, maybe you've seen it. Yes, it's a thing, that's all I'll say about it where people just break out into laughter and supposedly they're under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and they just start laughing the entire service. And the list goes on of how the Holy Spirit has been used to damage people's perspective of him. We must be careful of those things. There's only one reason that you should fear the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to give you that reason this morning. And it's scriptural. Here's the reason. If you're hindering his work in your life, you should fear the Holy Spirit. You really should. Scripture is clear. We can hinder his work. Listen to these scripture passages. Just, just listen to them. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. And do not... Grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do not put out the Spirit's fire in 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Literally, the picture there is, is that the Spirit is a fire in your heart. And literally, the picture is, is that what happens when you have a fire in your backyard? I know because I have a fire pit. I don't just light fires in the middle of my backyard. But we have a fire pit, so I take a, usually a bucket out and I just kind of splash water on it. The visual picture in 1 Thessalonians is there's literally Christians who take water and the Holy Spirit is a fire in their hearts and they just kind of, you're really tapping on me right now, so I'm just going to put you out a little bit. And then all of a sudden, oops, that was too much water. And now it's out. I'm not saying it can't be relit, but it's out. In, Matthew, or in Acts chapter 7, verse 51, this is Stephen again. He says, yeah, no wonder he got stoned. He says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always do what? Resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, and so do you. So people who say it's impossible for us to resist the work of the Holy Spirit just simply haven't read Scripture. It's very possible for you to turn your phone off, spiritually speaking. It's very possible for you to take the fire and put it out. It's very possible to ignore God's prompting so much that you just flat out don't care. And I can't say this with enough vigor, and I'm not going to say it with much passion because it's something that you have to work through. If you're in that boat, you need to get out of that boat ASAP. There is no other boat than the boat with the Holy Spirit working in your heart and life. 
And if he has stopped working, and if he has stopped prompting, and if he has stopped convicting, and if he has stopped asking you and, con- and asking you to consider this or consider that, and you have not experienced that in a while, my friends, today must be your day. It's not something to play around with. But when people keep on sinning, it says in 1 John 3, 8, it shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning, but the Son of God came to destroy these works of the devil. Now, here's the first thing that's said to me. And I used to say it as a child all the time to my parents. I get in trouble at school. The devil made me do it. Dad, it's that devil. It certainly wasn't my decision, Dad. He made me do it. Here's the problem, friends. In 1 John, the whole emphasis of 1 John is to make sure that we are saved. In case you don't know that. The whole theme is assurance of salvation. So if you are struggling, do I know the Lord Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior? Please read 1 John. That's the whole reason it was written. Notice what he says in that scripture passage that I read for you. He doesn't say blame the devil. No, he says when you come to know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, the devil no longer has control over you. Nothing. So if you blame the devil, you're saying something about your salvation. There's only one, one response, one solution to the whole issue of having the, the Holy Spirit not, re, not challenging you. And that's a repentance of our sins. That's the solution. It is not possible to receive the fullness of God's blessing while the, belief, while the believer is in a sin that they just don't care about. It's impossible. Because every day you're listening to the Holy Spirit tap you and you're saying, don't care. I will continue to live in this way and you aren't stopping me. Now that's the bad news, but we never end sermons on bad news. The good news is is that there's a remedy for this. The remedy for grieving or quenching the Holy Spirit is a confession of sin. Here's what John says in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, here's the first thing that people look at when they, when they hear me say that scripture passage. Oh, I did that when I came to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Time out. This verse has nothing to do with you coming to know your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Nothing. It is for a believer who knows Jesus Christ already. He is saying to them, if you want to be assured of your salvation, if you are assured of your salvation and you know that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, this isn't coming to know him. This is, you know it already. And you come and you confess those sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And in other words, 
light that fire again. This has nothing to do with responding the first time. And too many times it's been preached like that. Oh, this is about when we come to know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. No, 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 no. This person already knows them as Lord and Savior. This verse has nothing to do with you coming to know him. And so here's my encouragement for you. Here's the good news. The good news is, is that the Bible says that it is possible, that it is possible to have the fire relitten. Relit. Litten. Relit. He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That means if you, like Peter, have messed up, come back. If you, like Peter, have continually turned your back on God, he wants nothing more than for you this morning to say, enough is enough. He will be faithful and he will be just. And he will cleanse you from all the unrighteousness that you decided to do on your own. The Bible is so very clear that it, is that it is possible to impede the progress of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Our sin stops his work. However, the remedy is come back. Bow your knee. Admit to the fact that you've been doing it your own way. And it's time to get serious. Vance Harver Parner, a, the late Vance Havner, says it this way, we are not going to move this world by criticism of it, nor conformity to it, but by the combustion of within, our, of within it of lives ignited by the Spirit of God. We ought to be praying, Lord, take the word, Spirit of God, set it on fire. Here's what Vance Havner is saying, and I'll put it to you very straight. We are not going to change the world by complaining about it. We're not going to change the world by becoming like it. Let me tell you something. The church in the United States of America have tried those two things in the last five years. We have complained about it well. We've griped the whole way to the altar. We've also tried to become like it so we could reach it. Neither one will work. The only thing that's going to change this world is when we take the Holy Spirit serious. When we say that, you know what? If the Holy Spirit is asking me to do this, then I'm going to bend over five different ways till tomorrow to get it done. But that's my choice, and that's your choice. The church has done a great job of the other two. We have, I, I, me included. I can complain with the best of them. And I can also conform with the best of them. And I can tell you both of which will not reach this world for Jesus Christ. Won't happen. Do you know what the world knows about us? The world knows more about what we disagree with them about 
than what we agree with them about. You don't believe me? Come walk with me someday. Go to a coffee shop and introduce them to you, to me, introduce me to the cashier and tell them what I do for a living and listen to the response. It's usually something like this, oh, one of those. Oh, you probably don't like the way I'm living my life. And my response is usually, I'm sorry that a church taught you more about what we disagree with you do than what you agree, than what I agree with you on. I'm very sorry for that. You're right, I don't agree with your lifestyle. But let me tell you, sweetheart, in a very nice way, not sarcastic, that doesn't stop me from loving you one bit. One bit. And that's what the world has taught you is wrong with the church. Because I disagree with you, I hate you, is what they tell you. No, 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 no. I can disagree with you and love you. That's what Jesus wants. See, we don't have to hate people because we disagree with them. In fact, we shouldn't. The Holy Spirit should do a work in our hearts in that way. And so today, here's what I wanted you to get from this. I wanted you to get what the EC Church believes about the Holy Spirit. I wanted you to get what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. I wanted you to get that the Holy Spirit is not a scary person unless you're ignoring him. But I also wanted you to get that he's the only way out of this jam. We face an uphill battle, Faith Church. In case you haven't noticed, people aren't knocking the doors down to go to church these days. Those of us who do, we ought to listen to what he says in his word. We ought to take it serious, real serious. And we ought to let it challenge our hearts. Because when we do that, look out revival. But until we do that, we're just going through the motions. Just playing church. I hope you'll see his work in your life. When I look around this congregation this morning, I see where the Holy Spirit has worked in great and wonderful ways. Hope you'll see it too. Because there's an enemy out there that doesn't want us to see that. He wants us to look at the uphill battle and say, quit. I refuse. There's more to be reached. And you're about to do it. And please don't tell your pastor on the way out the door. I could never do that. Because if Peter can, you can. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it encouraged you in your walk with Christ. You can find out more about Faith Church at wearefaithec.com. 